Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. When I was first diagnosed, I didn't have anybody either. I didn't know anybody who had Lyme disease. I mean, I think I had a cousin, um, you know, far in the family tree who had experienced it, but... Um, even then, it was like, what do you know about Lyme disease? Nothing. And so as I was going through the first, I must say, three to six months of treatment, I was very much alone. Um, and those were the hardest times of my life because of the emotions that came with it. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker, One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the symptom tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Every journey through Lyme disease is different, and cookie-cutter approaches just don't work. You need to think like a ninja. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 153. Who thought we'd ever get to I know, right? 153? <laughs> anyway, 153 with Susan Pogorzelski. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello. And in this episode, you will learn how, for Susan, the worst part of being sick with Lyme disease was the isolation, the launch of the Lyme Brave Foundation, a national support resource center for patients, and why Susan is passionate about making sure Lyme disease patients and their caregivers' stories are heard. Thanks, Aurora. And now we're going to give you our top 10 city list. You got some flavor this week. You got some international (laughs) flavor. We started doing this as a fun way to highlight how much Lyme is an international issue and our audience across the nation. And across the world. And across the world. And this week is fun. So let's start with number 10. Number 10 is Gosford, Australia. Number 9 is Auckland, New Zealand. Number 8, Seattle, Washington. Number 7, Portland, Oregon. Number 6, Bad Rappenau, Germany. That's a mouthful. Yeah, I hope I pronounced it right. I'm sorry if I didn't. Number 5, Mountain View, California. Number 4, Dublin, Ireland. Let's do a jig. Number three, San Francisco, California. Number two, Hornsby, Australia. And the number one city with the most listens this past week is... with the mostest is Gouda, Netherlands. Gouda, Netherlands. And in celebration, I went out and bought some Gouda cheese (laughs) tonight. (laughs) 
It's a lot of fun. We kind of challenge the international audience to get together and have binge listening. Apparently, they took our they challenge responded. quite seriously. <laughs> I just have one thing to say to my fellow uh, staters downstate uh, in New York, New York City people. There are like 12 million of you down there. Like, what's up? <laughs> it's time to listen to not Lime Ninja Radio. <laughs> binge listen, please. Get back on the list. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about our guest today, Susan Pogorzelski. Susan was born in Pennsylvania, where she graduated from college with a BA in English. In 2012, she was diagnosed with late-stage Lyme disease after being sick with little explanation for nearly 15 years. After being in remission for nearly a year, Susan relapsed in 2015. Her book, The Last Letter, is closely based on her own struggles with Lyme disease. Thanks, Aurora. And here's our interview with Susan Pogorzelski. Hello, Susan. This is McKay Rippey from Lyme Ninja Radio. Hi, McKay. It's been a while since we last chatted. Not too long, but it's been a few months. At least, I think, yeah. And you've been pretty busy since we last talked. Because the last time we chatted, it was about a book that you had written. Sort of a semi-autobiographical collection of letters, imaginary letters. Right. It was the last letter, a novel. Um, that I had just published. And how did that go? How was that book um, received? It has been really great. Um, the Lyme community has been really receptive and really supportive. Um, I've had a lot of great feedback from people who either recognize themselves in it or who were able to say, wow, this is Lyme disease. I didn't understand that Lyme disease could be this bad. Um, so it's been, I'm very happy with it. It's been going really great. It's amazing what the written word can do, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So do you have other books in the back of your mind or you will get to it in a second, but are you just wrapped up with this major, major, major project that you're doing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, actually I've been busy. I had, um, a couple of weeks of clarity from the brain fog back in, I think, February or March, and I ended up writing a first draft of a new book. Um, so that is currently in the revision process. Oh, just stab and me in the heart, because we all have like eight novels inside us, right? And most of us <laughs> like, well, I'll get to it, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. And so you had a, a month of clarity and you wrote a book. Okay, great. <laughs> there is no excuse. You, you're if you my, have a book in you, you've got a book in you. Oh, <laughs> you're killing me. <laughs> You're my new role model. <laughs> Actually, I just sent out an email this morning uh, to my Lyme patients, and I, I told them my role model was a 99-year-old farmer out in Indiana. And uh, wow. he says, yeah, you know, I really don't have any hobbies. My hobbies is trying to get more wheat out of the acre of acres of land that I have. And it's like, wow, this guy's amazing. He's 99. Yeah. He's still farming. And now Good I find out you, you, Lyme disease, and moment of bl- brain fog clarity the brain fog lifts and you write a book it's like holy smokes (laughs) it's amazing what you can do when you don't have Lyme disease (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing what you can do when you have Lyme disease though too yeah that 
that too. I'm very impressed by what a lot of people in the community are doing. So let's circle back some. So not everybody knows you. We get new listeners every week. Will you tell us a little bit about your Lyme story? Yeah. Um, the truncated version is we can trace it back to when I was 13. So it's about 21 years now. Um, I came down with what we thought was mono. It ended up not being mono, but we didn't know that for about 15, 16 years. Um, I had a lot of health problems throughout my life, um, air hunger, which we can now attribute to Babesia, um, panic disorders, OCD, PCOS. I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, um, just a, a whole host of issues. Hey, can I interrupt um, here? Did you ever have any feet issues? Did you ever have burning of your feet or blisters on your feet? Not until I relapsed um, just about two years ago. Then I started having Bartonella symptoms, and we think I was actually reinfected. And did you just have the nerve symptoms? What were your foot? I'm asking for personal reasons here. Yeah, yeah. I have the burning sensation. Well, I have my feet get, like, ice cold so Mm. that it feels like... um, They get so cold that it feels like they're burning. It feels like... um, What's that? <laughs> Here's my brain fog now. What's what's the word where? Um, Frostbite. Thank you. <laughs> that one. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So it feels like that. Um, but then in other instances, it'll feel like they're on fire. The bottoms of my feet. So pretty neurological. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's, I interrupted you. You're talking about so coming through, you're having these symptoms and this is before the relapse. And so they figured out you're actually infected. Well, it wasn't until I had my gallbladder removed. My gallbladder was actually infected, severely infected, even though I had no gallstones. um, All the tests were coming back fine. Um, I had actually insisted on, on speaking with the surgeon, having my gallbladder removed. And when they did, they found it, it was infected. And after that, I thought it was going to be fine after that, but I ended up very rapidly declining um, and very severely, too. I was having heart problems. I was having um, severe neurological and cognitive problems, um, psychiatric issues. I mean, the the whole gamut. I mean, it it happened within, I think, a period of six months. Um, And so my parents and I, we went to various ERs, um, multiple times a month. Um, we went down to, uh, leading hospital down in Maryland, teaching hospital down in Maryland. Um, I was diagnosed with migraines, fibromyalgia, um, everything but an infection. Yeah. Like narrowly mediated hypertension. And that's when I said, hold it, there's gotta be something else going on here. And so I, and my parents found my doctor, everything kept coming back to Lyme disease. So we found my doctor and um, he was the one who was able to diagnose me. Um, if I had not been diagnosed by him in May of 2012, I would not have lasted that summer. And um, thankfully, I started, um, some of my symptoms started resolving right away. Um, it took about two and a half years uh, before I went into remission. Um, I was so excited to be in remission. I think that I kind of ignored some of the warning signs that I wasn't really in remission yet. <laughs> like what? Um, like looking back, what were those warning signs? Um, I started having headaches again. Um, I started having neuropathy again. 
Um, okay, so you're having headaches, you're getting neuropathy, but there's something else going on that you're saying, wow, I'm still really getting better. So what was going right at that point that you ignored um, these? I was able to work again. Oh, okay. I hadn't been able, yeah, I had been working maybe between five, ten hours um, when I was a week, when I was first diagnosed, um, trying to push myself to do that. Um, and then I was working my way up to 30 hours when I was reaching remission. So I was so excited to basically get my life back. Um, I was being social again. Um, you know, I was pushing through with projects with my own business. I mean, I basically, I was ready to live life again. So I, I pretty much pushed all those symptoms as familiar symptoms to the side and said, no, 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 that's, that's just normal. As that's people do. Detoxing, when I'm herxing, I'm doing something like that, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Now, um, have you heard, have you heard of the spoons analogy? I just heard this the other day and I'm surprised I hadn't heard it before. Yeah. The, uh, um, but like, you don't look sick. Yes. You only have so mm-hmm. many spoons. So like yep. a, a healthy person has a whole big handful of spoons. They have 20 spoons and they can use each spoon as like a, a, a piece of oh. energy. So they can do all these different things. And the person with Lyme disease has only five spoons. And so they can only do five things in those days. So they don't look sick, but it's like, they, it's like once those spoons are gone, that's it. Done for the day. Yeah. That's such a, I, I'm surprised I hadn't heard that. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. It's like, oh, that's so cool. It makes so much sense. Yeah, and it's a great way for other people to understand exactly what you mean when you say you don't have energy. Right. Because people don't understand that. Right. Well, this My patient was saying, well, you know, I was trying to explain to my husband, I can either go to the faculty meeting or I can go to, you know, this family event. I can't do both. Yeah. You know, and I'm sorry, but we ha- I have to choose. You know, I have to have, please help me choose. You know, so they made the decision together. It's It's incredible. That's- it's nice, too, because it's a real tangible way for people to see that they physically only have one spoon left. So you have to make that choice. Yeah. It's funny. In bicycle racing, they talk about burning matches. So during a long bicycle race, they have so many matches or sprints in them, right? And they after that, you're done. So that concept's out there amongst elite athletes. And it's interesting that that circles back to, like, the sickest of the sick. But it's the same yeah. concept. There, there's a limit to our energy. And most of the time we go through our day or people go through the day and we're just, we're kind of cruising. We don't spend that much energy doing anything. So we never run out. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stuff we do is not that taxing. But when you're a high level athlete or when everything's taxing, right? Like when walking up the stairs exhausts you, then, right. you know, you're more like an elite athlete doing a, you know, a, a stage of the Tour de France or something like that. Yeah, I tend to use the gas metaphor. And what's um, that? Saying that I have, you know, how much gas do you have in your tank? Okay. Um, because then people can understand, oh, you're starting out at a quarter of a tank. That means you don't have a whole lot. And then you're burning fumes, you know. You're uh, you're running on fumes then yeah. at the end of the day, and then that can alter how you are the next day. So that seems to help people understand a little bit, too. Now, we were speaking earlier, and you said something that really caught my attention. You're working on this major, major project, and you're going to be launching it. I mean, we're we're interviewing on a Friday, like next week, right? Mm -hmm. Hopefully on Monday. Okay. And what you said is, I wish I had this resource 
when I first started with Lyme disease. So you went out and created what you wish you had. What was this five years ago, seven years ago when you first got diagnosed? Five. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I guess I'll just go in and announce it now. I did a, a little soft launch, um, the other day. Um, but I'm very, very proud to announce, um, Lyme Brave Foundation Incorporated. It's a new nonprofit. Say that, that again because it sounded a little fuzzy to me. Lime what? Lime Brave. Lime Brave. Foundation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Lime Brave Foundation Incorporated. It's a new national nonprofit that provides Lyme disease education and awareness while basically enriching patient and caregivers' lives through support programs. Um, so, what I had dreamed about five years ago, so this is really five years in the making, um, was having this central support center um, where people can go to for the emotional support because I think that's what people forget about with this disease so much is that as horrible as the physical symptoms can be, the emotional toll that this disease can take can be just as debilitating. And while we have there are a ton of great support groups out there. Those are usually more localized. So I really envisioned something that was, you know, on a national front that people can go to the website and, you know, find the support resources that they need to help them through this disease. And so how do you see that as different? I'm going to push a little bit just so we can do a compare and a compress. I'm, I'm not... Mm-hmm. Compare and contrast. There we go. I can say that. And, and I don't mean this to, to be insulting. It's just to help clarify. Like, so how is that different from like the, like LymeDisease.org and the resources that they have? How, how is your project different? Well, I'm hoping that our, um, nonprofit can be complementary. Um, with LymeDisease.org, for example, Global Lyme Alliance, excellent, excellent organizations, both of them. Um, they are a lot on the um, education and research front of things. What we would like to be is more on the patient and caregiver experience front. So when we have workshops and education events, um, we would like to focus on the Lyme patient stories so that people can really connect by hearing those stories, um, by understanding the experiences that patients and caregivers really go through on an emotional front, on a physical front, what it's like to actually have this disease. Brilliant. I know I've interviewed several people and they've talked about being the author of your story, being the hero, reframing it as being the hero of the story rather than have the doctor be the hero of the story or, or somebody coming in from the outside and how yeah, like isn't it's, it's powerful, powerful shift, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. you, so you become, and the, the hero of every story, the heroine, of every story, there's always setbacks, right? It's not like, okay, you know, I figured it out and I got the secret keyword, code word and now everything's hunky-dory no it's they go through setbacks and ups and downs and they find people along the way to help them and then they have to find new people to help them so it's the hero's journey is a is a powerful metaphor and uh 
I, th- I think you're, you're really onto something. It's early on with Lime Ninja Radio, we focused a lot on the emotional side of things and have kind of drifted away from that. Um, just my own interests and kind of the way the, the guests have lined up. Uh, we, we don't have a, we don't have a grand organizing strategy, uh, still, even after doing this for three years. So, I think you're doing pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I don't have any complaints, but it's, we're just kind of we've just kind of followed the threads as mm-hmm. we found them, um, and the, the kind of the current thread that that I'm following closely myself and for my patients is the the nutrition thread, right, and the ge- genetics uh, variability that happens from patient to patient, and how our individual nutrition needs may vary and how it's important, you know, to start with a protocol perhaps, but then to individualize things. But if you don't have the emotional part, I mean, one of my favorite Lao Tzu quotes is uh, the, the wise person, you know, uses a different word, but essentially it's the wise person is sick of being sick. Yeah. You know, if you're not sick of being sick yet, right? If you're still in, oh my goodness, I'm just trying to make it through the day, uh, and, and you can't even think beyond the, the next 15 minutes, then, then all this is, is, um, is moot, right? And that's a fancy yeah. word for saying that it doesn't mean anything. And your healing will only take you so far then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and in every, so I've interviewed many people like you who've had these, these transformative moments. You know, you've talked earlier about your, the, the book and the, the lime fog lifting, but there are these moments that happen when they, people get some clarity about, oh my goodness, this really is my job. And it's also, it's often a turning point in, in their story. It's like the hero, the hero figures out that they're the hero in the story, (laughs) right? It's like, wait a minute, this is my story being played out. This is my mission being played out. And yeah, it'd be great if there's somebody out there who could just hand me the answer, but you know, it's not strep throat, right? Right. You know, it's not a broken arm. It's not, I mean, some people know my story. So I, this past May, I got Parsonage-Turner syndrome, and that's essentially Bell's palsy on the brachial nerves of the arm. So I woke up. This is the short, the the truncated story, too, the short story. I woke up one morning, and my arm, right arm would not move, and I'm right-handed. And it just, wow. it just didn't move. And then it started hurting, right? So so now it's hurting. It doesn't move. I figured out it wasn't a stroke. You know, I put it off for a while. Maybe it'll just kind of come back on its own. It's not moving. My wife finally says, you need to do something about it. So I go to urgent care. Urgent care says, you know what? This seems neurological. We don't do nerves. Go to the ER. The ER said, you know, we did the CAT scan. It's, you know, your neck looks okay. So you don't have a disc problem. You know, it's a typical Lyme story, right? You don't have a disc problem. Um, We did your shoulder. Don't see anything there. But it really seems like it's orthopedic. Go see an orthopedic. Oh, my God. So so this is helping. Like, this is happening Friday, Saturday. And then go see an orthopedic on Monday. And the orthopedic does a few tests. He says, that's not your shoulder. <laughs> he said, and I looked at your CAT scan. It's not your neck. He said, you've got some weird neurological thing. And basically said, and good luck figuring out what it was. Oh, my gosh. So luckily, I have a, a, a friend who's a former uh, pediatric orthopedic surgeon. And he sent me this 
he says, this is what it sounds like. You know, it's, I've been sending out emails to people kind of updating them as well. I'm not going to be practicing acupuncture because I can't pick up a needle. So he says, it sounds like I've had this before. It sounds like this. And sure enough, it was this Parsonage Turner syndrome. And in talking with Eva Shoppy, you know, that, so my thought was, okay, I got, this is typical, just like, just like Bell's palsy, right? It's viral. It attacked the nerve. But in talking with Eva Shoppy, who's out at uh, SUNY Adirondack, she said, you know, it could be bacterial too. So it could have been a Lyme flare. I've had Lyme, right? I had the bullseye rash. So it could Uh be a Lyme flare. It could be a virus. It could be related to just immune weakening. I had two bouts of pretty severe food poisoning uh, within the past like nine months, which is really unusual for me. So my gut definitely got been out of shape there, yeah. you know, and I've been traveling to Thailand. So maybe I picked something. So, you know, who, we don't have the sophistication yet to be able to tell what it is, but, but that's so scary. And the fact that you were just passed around like that. Well, but because I've talked to so many people like you, people ask me that, were you scared? I was never scared. And that's the honest God truth. Maybe I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> And I should have been scared. I was never scared. Once I realized really, is this a stroke? And then I kind of like did a symptom check, you know, check the rest of my body. It's like, this isn't a stroke. And somewhere after talking to everybody with Lyme disease and people were coming, it's like, okay, it's nerve. It'll come back. I mean, I really just, okay, how do, then, then the question be, how, how do you, if there's a lingering infection, how do you do it? So I did. Uh, Lyme disease protocol for a month to make sure I was detoxed and make sure that I was killing stuff off if there's anything left over. And there's really, there was no herxing from it. There really wasn't anything reaction to it. So whatever came had already went. So, you know, maybe the damage to the nerve was actually my body's reaction to killing something off. Maybe that's what, you know, who knows, right? Interesting. Like too much uh, nitric oxide, inducible nitric oxide, you know, creating too much inflammation and you know so maybe that just wore off the the myelin coating on the nerve what anyway whatever happened that's that's not the point so the point is I was never scared so talking about the emotional part of things it's like mm-hmm. so and then what happened was you know the pain started I couldn't sleep so my first goal is like okay I got to figure out how to sleep right and that took about it took about three weeks to figure out how to get some sleep so it was brutal. You know, I'm watching NCIS reruns at 3 a.m., you know, and, and yeah. I would fall asleep and grab an hour. So I'm sure you've done something like this, too. Finally figured out some ice would help. And then I found uh, the LED light, some some 660, which is red light, and uh, 850, which is infrared uh, wavelength. And that, that took the pain away. That was amazing, actually. And then, so, so now I'm getting a little bit sleep. I can start to think again. Things are moving on again. This is like the emotional part of things, right? And mm-hmm. I'm pretty, when I get sick, I like, I'm, I don't know, I'm like a bear. I want to go in a cave somewhere far away and don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Just, you know, oh, yeah. th- throw me meat every once in a while. I'll be okay. You know, so then as I start kind of recovering myself, because now I can sleep four or six hours a night, things like that, or, or throughout the day. You know, what am, what am I going to do? So we started doing some interventions. At that point, I really took on the healing on my, on my own, right? I'd seen my doctor. I'd finally gotten a primary. I didn't have a primary. If you don't have a primary care doctor, 
go get one even if you don't need one. I hadn't had a primary care doctor for 20 years. And you can't access the medical system unless you have a primary care doctor. So right. if you don't have a primary care doctor out there, just take it from me. Go get one now because it may take you anywhere from, if you know somebody, four weeks to get an appointment. And if you don't know anybody, it could take you six months to get an appointment. These guys are rarer than hen teeth. It's just we're so under-doctored out there. So anyway, that's my PSA public service <laughs> announcement for getting, getting your doctor. Anyway, so the, the long story. So I took things into my own hand, exactly what you're talking about. And this isn't supposed to, this interview isn't supposed to be about me, but it totally turned about me, but, <laughs> but, but that's exactly what you're, you're providing. But if somebody's hurting and lost and confused and hasn't interviewed you know, 150 line people and heard these similar stories like, okay, this is how you navigate that pathway. If you don't have that example in front of you, you know, I've got all of you heroes out there, all you ninjas out there who's been, who've been through this before. It's like, if you can do it, I can do it. And that's why I was never afraid. We'll circle back there. That's why I was never afraid. So what you're doing is beautiful. Thank you. Well, you know, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't have anybody either. I didn't know anybody who had Lyme disease. I mean, I think I had a a cousin, um, you know, far in the family tree who had experienced it. But um, even then, it was like, what do you know about Lyme disease? Nothing. And so as I was going through the first, I would say, three to six months of treatment, I was very much alone. Um, And those were the hardest times of my life because of the emotions that came with it. I mean, there are just people who, like me, didn't understand it, except I was experiencing it. I was experiencing the physical pain. I was experiencing not being able to stay awake for more than a few minutes at a time. Um, It's very confusing. It's very disorienting. And when you have, I mean, I had coworkers who didn't believe me even. And I was saying to them, I mean, you know me, you know my character, you know I would not be making this up. There's something seriously wrong with me. This is what's happening to my body and to my brain. And along with that came, you know, a lot of guilt for being a burden on my parents, on the system. I mean, I'm a very independent person, but this had made me become dependent again. Yeah, and totally. that was very, very difficult. Yeah. And there's a guilt aspect to it as well. I mean, so there are a lot of emotions, not just, you know, pain, not just the the suffering. There's a lot of emotions that Lyme patients have to tackle. And not just Lyme patients, but caregivers, too. I mean, we often forget that caregivers are part of this equation as well, that they are right there along with us. So we wanted to create some, you know, a support structure for them as well, for the caregivers, for our family, friends, you know, whoever is you know, taking care of us in that way and supporting us, we want to be able to support them back. Yeah. You know, that's so important. And it's, it's easy to forget. I mean, this, um, similar to when I studied acupuncture, my, my children were born in a household where their father did acupuncture. That's so bizarre. They don't know what the world is like with people who don't even (laughs) think about acupuncture, right? It's just part of it. Lyme disease is the same way. It's like, once you go through the Mm -hmm. looking glass, you forget that there's a whole world out there that doesn't understand this. Right. And if you're just entering into it, and if you're a caregiver, I mean, if you're a caregiver, you're torn. You want to support the person 
And I know you've heard these stories, too, with people who, yeah, I had Lyme disease, you know, and then it put a strain on the marriage and we got divorced and I lost my job. You know, it's just heartbreaking Mm because the the caregiver has to decide. It's like, who am I going to believe? All the experts over here who are the experts and have degrees and they work at a hospital and they look, they've got a stethoscope around their neck, you know, and they're wearing scrubs. It's like, these guys know what they deal with this stuff or... You know, my, my, my daughter, my son, my husband, my wife, whoever it is who has the Lyme disease, who, you know, I know all their foibles and they can be a little bit crazy even before now. And now they're really, and they don't look sick. Like you said, you know, they, you don't understand the spoon thing. Like the doctors can't find anything and they're just complaining all day and don't do anything. They just, there's something wrong with them as a person and not their, not their sick. Right. And so, so to be able to support the support person, the caregiver and bring them into it's like, look, come, come and talk to some other caregivers. Let's, let's have, you know, like you're, you're my new hero for writing book It's like, let's, here's somebody you can, here's your role model for a caregiver and not, not even that, you know, there's some ideal that you have to lift up to, but it's like, here's somebody who gets it and understands and knows, okay, here's the struggles between who do we believe? You know, being on the fence is hard. We don't like to be on the fence very long. So we choose sides fairly quickly. You know, who are you going to believe? Right. And as we know, being a Lyme patient can feel like a, you know, a full-time job. So being a caregiver for a Lyme patient is the same thing and then they have all their other life stressors on top of that so it can be very very difficult yeah absolutely brutal you can see why relationships just fray and how it's Mm -hmm. very very difficult i'm thinking of podcasting friends out in arizona the sanchez uh is the last name but they they have a podcast that deals a lot with the emotional issues and the relationship issues that kind of they've gone in, in that direction with, with their interviews. And really that's their story as well. Um, mm-hmm. She has uh, Lyme disease. A daughter has Lyme disease and he's been the, the caregiver and, you know, just the ups and downs and the struggles. And, and he's even, you know, full and he understands it all, but still there's the emotional push and pull and strain that, you know, it, it can, it can break us. I had, you know, when I was sick, there were a couple mornings there where I woke up, you know, completely sleep deprived in pain and just, you know, you just begin to lose it. You know, you just mm-hmm. totally begin to lose it. And then you have to take a deep breath and say, okay, it's just pain. And I don't mean it's just pain, but it is just pain, right? It's like, okay, I'm hurting. You know, what can I do for the pain? If anything, put some ice on it and, you know, you can get through this. But it it wears you down. It does. And I remember there were a couple of really low points over the past five years where, I mean, not it was the low quality of life that a lot of Lyme patients experience, coupled with the um, bacteria in the brain that was causing suicidal ideation for yeah. me. And there were so many times where I just kept saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And my parents were always the ones who were there for me. And they were always saying, not just that you can do it, but that you have to do it. <laughs> and I mean, I needed that heavy dose of reality. I, I needed that tough love, um, but they were always there supporting me. And um, 
my mom admitted to me, she says, Susan, when you were crying to me, just bawling to me, she says, it broke my heart as a parent, as a mother. She said, because I felt so helpless. Yeah. She said, because I can't ever experience what you're experiencing and I can't fix it for you. Yeah. And that made me feel horrible because I don't ever want to put that on anybody. Least of all, you know, somebody I love so much. But, but, um, but that's the, so, you know, that's the, and I think that's one of the important lessons. And it's something that you learn as a practitioner. So I've learned as an acupuncture. There are times where you cannot do anything. The best medicine that you've got is to hold somebody. Exactly. That's all I needed. And that's, I mean, and that's the highest level of medicine. There's nothing else that literally can be done at that moment. And it seems on the giving end, it seems so insufficient. And that's, that's the feelings that that the caregiver is struggling. So like, can't, isn't there something else I can do here? And sometimes that's it. And like you said, sometimes on the receiving end, that's enough. It's just like, I am still connection and still connected. And the other thing is that's something we don't talk about often enough is, and this happens with concussions too, with brain inflammation, for some reason, the brain starts thinking, maybe it's time to check out and just generates these thoughts out of nothing, out of nothing. It's just brain inflammation creates suicidal ideations. That's Mm -hmm. suicidal thoughts. It's like, gee, I wonder how I could check out of this. And it's very scary. It is very scary. And then, so imagine, so this can happen with somebody with a concussion without the, all the other things that come along with Lyme disease. So we, we know this happens with brain inflammation in and of itself, but then you put all the other things with Lyme disease. Then you have all these psychological reasons. Well, I haven't been to work for a month or a month, a year or two years or 10 years. I can't go out with my friends anymore. <laughs> Hello. <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's a perfect, right. And remind me, don't talk too long, McKay. So all these things, all these things happen. Somebody at the door? No, there's probably a dog walking past. Oh, okay. We just got a rescue dog and Rusty, 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 the rescue dog. Rusty is very funny. Rusty will sit and watch out the window. He's a, uh, he's part, uh, oh, good grief. A Chinese fighting guard dog. And I forget the breeds anyways, S something. He'll sit at the window. He doesn't like people. He's like an old man. He doesn't like people riding on the grass. So (laughs) we're on this farm, right? And we, we, we've got the driveway, right? But people park, we park on the grass. We take shortcuts across the, you know, to the other driveway kind of thing. And he doesn't like it. So he barks at us. If somebody's driving on the grass. So anyway, it's, it's, get off my lawn. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. That's it. He's like an old man. He's totally saying, get yeah, off my lawn. Funny. He totally is. That's hysterical. <laughs> anyway, the, it's, it's important for these people to know that needs to be a big part. I'm going to make a push for this for you too. That needs to be a big, big part. These suicidal thoughts are not your thoughts. Yeah. They're like an alien invading you. It's just like, okay, I've got alien. Don't take them seriously and don't entertain them because they're not your thoughts. They're an inflamed brain. And it's so important to know that and to hear that. And so, and that's another thing that's happening with what you're doing. And I think it's so important with the support, some sort of support, some sort of group 
thing. And, you know, the, 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 I love the mentor idea because the other thing, so early on, so I was, you know, I was talking to people about this and, you know, there, there are issues that come around with the support. So one thing that happens is uh, in, in support groups, people get better and then they leave. Right. And then you don't mm-hmm. hear those voices anymore. You don't hear the getting, you, it's kind of like the support groups, always a group of people who are really struggling. It tends to be, now, I'm not saying there's some groups out there, probably people hang around, but so you can get these kind of depressive, like the support can be depressive. Right. And then the other funny thing is because people are psychologically stressed either by the disease or something else, they're it needs to be monitored, right? I've heard so many stories where somebody just kind of loses their mind and loses their social boundaries because of the disease and just starts lashing out and attacking people. And so I know a lot of people who've left public spaces. I shouldn't say a lot. I know some, a few people who've left public spaces because, because it was brutal. So how, how are you going to, what's your plan? Cause I know you know all about this stuff. I just want to, what's your plan to take care of people in these, in these settings? Well, I can tell you, for example, on our Facebook page, we have a linked group called the being Lime brave Facebook group, part of Lime brave foundation. And I can tell you that we will not tolerate any disrespect, um, at all because it, we are all going through the same issue, the same disease, and it's very hard on all of us at varying degrees. Um, so respect is a huge issue, and we need to have a safe space where we can support each other. Um, I do want to point out that um, on our website, we will always have a link to the Crisis Lifeline, the National Suicide Prevention Center, um, so that if there is, if anybody finds themselves in need of, in a crisis situation, that they will always have a link to that support center there. Um, but, but yeah, McKay, like what you were saying, um, one of our programs that we're excited to launch, hopefully in 2018, will be a mentorship program so that those with, um, newly diagnosed with Lyme disease can pair up with those who are you know, either chronic Lyme patients, long-term Lyme patients, um, because as we know, this is a very lonely and isolating disease, and just having somebody to be there and say, hey, you know, I'm feeling this, this, and this today, and have somebody understand it and say, I get it, you know, here's some options for you to either detox or to, you know, just, you know, take care of yourself, that is crucial. I mean, when I met my first friend who was a Lyme patient, we would send texts back and forth and just having somebody who understood it, it was eye-opening for me. It was transformative. I can't even explain what it meant to have that kind of support. So we're very excited to launch that. That's going to be so powerful. Do you think it'll ever get to the point where there's a general cultural understanding about what goes on or do you think we'll always be kind of a subset where you'll need to be you need a secret handshake to understand what Lyme is all about I got to tell you I am so impressed by this Lyme community and the work that's being done by so many individuals in it because when I was first diagnosed even though there have always been people advocating for it and speaking up again uh, for it for patients um I didn't know a lot about it. 
And I have seen a transformation over the past five years where people are using their voices and standing up even more. And there is a huge shift happening in our society and our media when they talk about it. I think it's very slow going as the people who have been talking about it for 10, 20 years can attest it is very slow going. But I think that shift is really happening and I'm seeing it. So I think, I mean, there's, as you know, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, so it's kind of a loaded question, but I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful that, that we will see people understand and that, you know, like heart disease, like AIDS, like cancer, people will understand when we just say Lyme disease, how devastating and discouraging and how much suffering it can entail and how dangerous it is. I think we're headed there. Yeah, that's very interesting. So I think we have hit a point and I did a interview that came out last week with a bunch of Girl Scouts. They're so cute. Seventh graders. I saw that. Yeah. And they're just doing one of their public service projects raising quail and releasing them so the quail eat the ticks and it helps reduce the incidence, right, of, of ticks in the areas and hopefully Lyme disease as well. But, I mean, here's just Girl Scouts. So, yeah, there's some Lyme around them, but for them to take that and have that be one of their projects, I think begins to show that, okay, this we've hit, an, we've hit a milestone. It's like the awareness of Lyme disease. Once you've got Girl Scouts doing projects around Lyme disease, you know, for their public service, it's like, it's officially a problem. It's like, yeah. okay, we finally got to that point. Uh, I remember not too long ago, we were even, there was even question is, is this a problem? Oh, you're making it up, right? There's no, so I think we're, we've, we've reached that point now. And what you said was so important about, you know, like with heart disease and people understand it's like, maybe I, I was thinking about all the details is like, so like would the public know that Lyme disease can have these, you know, 40 different symptoms. And you know what? That's just not going to happen. But if they know in their mind, Lyme disease equals a really tough time. If that's all that's people know out in the public, that would be enough. That gives you a place to stand in talking with your boss and talking with your cousin and talking with people around you so that they right. have, have some space to hear. Yeah. Wow. This is really crazy. Like the disease is crazy. You're not crazy because somehow in the back of the mind, they've already know that Lyme disease equals a really tough time. So I think that's, that's the next step for the public, the uninfected public. Yeah. Well, I mentioned my cousin, um, a little while ago. Um, she had Lyme disease, maybe, Oh gosh, maybe 10, 15 years ago now. Um, but when we learned about that, we didn't know anything about it. We thought, oh, that just means she was bit by a tick. It's like you don't understand the severity of what that means and what this infection entails or even the co-infections that come along with it. You just don't understand it. Whereas when you say a word like cancer, it sends chills down your spine because you know what can come of it. Right. Um, I, I think that Lyme disease and cancer, I mean, I've lost friends to cancer, so... I am very respectful of that, but I think Lyme disease and cancer need to go hand in hand now. I think when you hear the word Lyme disease, you have to understand the dangers that can come along with it and the severity and debilitating nature of it. What's next for you? (laughs) (laughs) What else do I have up my sleeve? (laughs) Yes. 
I have a suspicion that now that this is manifesting, this project, Lime Brave is manifesting that, and, and you do, you talked about that you got your two eight, uh, 2018, you're hoping to get the, the Lime Buddies or whatever you're going to call that, the Lime Mentors, where you can match people up. I think that's a brilliant program. What's, mm-hmm. what's the long, what's, what's the really, I mean, this is huge. First of all, I don't want to diminish that all, but what's the really big picture here? Um, well, I'm really excited for this to grow. Um, when we launch the website on Monday, we're going to have patient and caregiver portals, which offer toolkits for patients and caregivers. Um, for example, we have um, patient appointment forms, patient histories, patient logs, all downloadable forms so that you can keep track of medications and appointments and things like that. And we're going to continue to build the website up so that we can be that central support center. Um, we have LimeLink coming in 2018, um, which is our mentorship program. Um, we have a hotline coming um, so people can call in and, and get support there. Um, and we are also going to be offering adult wellness grants um, because for those, like, there are some excellent children's resources where you can receive grants for care for children. Um, but for people like myself who are maybe struggling financially for medications, um, as adults, there's not many resources out there. So we'd like to be another resource for people there. Um, so we just like to continue to build up our, um, foundation, our services, what we offer. Um, I do have a great big dream. <laughs> I would love to have kind of a wellness center for people to come to, um, don't know if that will ever come to fruition, but that is the the great big dream so that, you know, people who cannot take care of themselves, adults who can't take care of themselves temporarily, you know, period of six months to a year can have their meals prepared for them, can have their medicines set out for them, can have physical therapy if they need it. Um, and that support, that emotional support center as well. So that's the big, big dream. Um, but for now, I'm, I'm really happy with where we're headed and how we're building up um, these support resources for people. Fabulous. It's always so wonderful to hear committed people putting their plans in action. It's inspiring. You've inspired me. Thank you. <laughs> that means a lot to hear. Well, thank you. You're the one doing the work. <laughs> I, I love it. I mean, I hate to say it like that because I hate this illness, but um, I'm very passionate about everything. And I think people, you know, I'm very passionate about people. And so I want to give them the support that I think that they deserve. You know, we talked about being the hero in the story, and that's it, exactly what you're personifying here. You get to that point when you say, okay, this is all on me. And now... You know, you're the hero. You've gone through the disease. You're still working through that. I'm sure you still have ups and downs. Like you mentioned, you have brain fog still from time mm-hmm. to time. And then it's like, okay, now that I'm back to ground, close to ground zero here, where where do we take this from here? Do I, and some people say, okay, great. I just want to get to my, back to my old life. And many of you, many of you Limey say, you know, there's a need out here and I'm going to provide 
something for these people who have these needs like I do. Like I, I wish I had this when I was first starting out with Lyme disease. So I'm going to, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make a resource website and have resources for people and caregivers. And that's, you know, that's, that's how things get done. That's really how things get done. And it's so inspiring and it's, it's just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Thanks. I think it's just, I think it'd be easy to go back to an old life. Um, but I think it's, it would be also be difficult in a way too, because this disease really does transform you and it makes you stronger and it makes you bolder and it makes you better in a way. And it makes you want to stand up for others who maybe didn't have the support that you had. Um, so I think in a lot of ways and what we're seeing in the Lyme community too, where so many people are doing extraordinary things, I think it's because of this disease. So as much as we hate this disease, it's also led us down these paths that I think has been really transformative. We don't really grow until we've been pushed and none of us like to be pushed. That's well, maybe except for maybe some Olympic athletes or some of the people who have learned to embrace the push, right? Most of us, Mm -hmm. normal people, it's like, don't push me. Thank you very much. I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. Kicking and screaming. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Lime, right. Lime, lime forces you to that place, you know, where you're, Mm -hmm. where you become, we talked about this a little bit earlier, where you become this Olympic athlete, except you're not, you know, jumping off of the high dive doing eight flip twists, things like that. You're just, you're just making it through the day. You know, that's your Olympic event. And, but it takes the same level of dedication, the same level of training, the same level of nutrition just to do that simple thing. And it seems silly from the outside, but we know from the inside it takes it. That's what it takes. So once you learn how to do that, discipline yourself, discipline your mind, discipline your emotions. like you've got this amazing capacity now. And now that you've actually got the energy to do something, it's like, what am I going to do with my new superpowers? Mm-hmm. You know, and here you are making this amazing, <laughs> amazing nonprofit. So you have to come back as you launch these different pieces. Like when you got Lime Link, we definitely need to talk about that. Okay. I would love to. And yeah. if something else comes up in between, you know, be sure to send me a Facebook message or email or whatever, and we'll definitely get you on for that too. So let's, since this is coming out after you launch, why don't you give us all the contact, give us your Facebook name, the website is like, how can people get hold of this fantastic resource? Sure. So our website is limebravefoundation.org and that's L Y M E B R A V E. Um, our Facebook is also Lime Brave Foundation. You can find us on social media at Lime Brave. Um, and we'll have all of those links up on the website as well. Oh, I know one final thing here, because this is the other thing that happens with projects this big. Do you need to like say thank you to people who are helping you? I know you're not doing this all yourself. Oh, no, no, no. I'm definitely not doing it by myself. <laughs> so we, and I'm really glad you brought that up because I want, I did want to thank my team. Um, we are a small group of patients and caregivers. Um, so basically our board members. Um, my dad is a Lyme patient. He is a part of this as well. Um, as well as some of my friends who have been along on my journey and supporting me through everything. Um, so I'm very, very grateful to them for all their support and their help in launching this. 
Um, and I'm especially grateful to the Lyme community for their support and encouragement, um, not just with the foundation, but just over the years of me personally. Um, very, I could not have gotten through this disease, um, even though I'm still in treatment. Um, I couldn't have gotten through it without them. So I'm very grateful to everybody for helping make this come to fruition. And to you, McKay, I'm so glad to, to be able to speak with you and to be able to, you know, have our voice heard and, and to launch this with you. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Very excited. Thanks for being a guest on Lime Ninja Radio. Thanks for having me. This was a great interview, and you mentioned something, and you're right. We haven't talked about the emotional toll of Lyme in a while, and it's really great that Susan is creating a foundation that addresses that. It's so easy for me as a practitioner, even as a five-element practitioner where we have such an emphasis on a person's emotional state and how it affects their health, health to get lost in the technical aspects. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have a ninja spirit, <laughs> like we call it, right? If you don't have a fighting spirit, it doesn't matter. All the treatment in the world isn't going to help, right? You, you're going to give up. You're not going to take your pills. You're not going to f- follow the protocols. So many of the stories we talk about are people having an emotional, an epiphany, a spiritual event. And I don't mean the religious spiritual, although in some cases it does seem to have that overtones, right? That that all of a sudden it's like they feel empowered. They become the hero of their story. We've had that interview a while back about being the hero of your own story. So, yes, it is important. It may be the most important thing, mm-hmm. you know, a deeper, more important than what protocol you choose. Uh, that the emotional support and that that of the caregivers, too, you know, bless their hearts. They get so lost in the shuffle. And it's such a toll. It's such a hard thing to support somebody day in and day out when they're just really not feeling well. So, yes, hats off to Susan and her team. Yeah. We talked a little bit afterwards, and we're going to be presenting some sort of workshop through her foundation. So keep your ear to the podcast, to the ear pods, <laughs> <laughs> to the earbuds for for when that happens. It's it's not imminent, but it'll happen in the, the next few months. I'm looking forward to working with her. Yeah, that'll be awesome. All right. We love your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you love us, if you hate us, if you have ideas for new people to interview, something different, a topic we haven't covered, a topic you'd like us to cover more in depth, let us know. Let us know what you think about caregiving. What's been your experience either caring for somebody with Lyme disease or being cared for with somebody about Lyme disease. How important was that for you? Let us know. If we read your letter on the air, we will send you our studio Lyme Ninja mug. Yay! <laughs> we haven't done that in a or while. Or maybe I'm some so other great excited. swag. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're going to get back on the ball here. So anyway, send us your feedback. Yes. We'd love to hear from you. And speaking of hearing from people, do you remember Dr. Elena Frid? 
Of course. Yes. The neuro, the neurosurgeon? Neuro. Neurologist. Yes. Neurologist. Neurologist. Yes. She had an interview in the Huffington Post. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Huffington Posty. I know, right? I feel like sometimes with the with with Lyme disease being talked about on these major in these major papers, it feels like star spotting sometimes. You know, like in Hollywood. They we knew that. her when. <laughs> we knew her when. She was a humble guest on yeah. Lime Ninja Radio. Yeah, I know. But the reason why they interviewed her is um, at this Lyme disease awareness event in Ottawa, she was calling Lyme disease a human rights concern. Ah, okay. And so the journalist was inspired to interview her. So I think it's a great article, and it's going to be followed up. It's going to be a series of articles about this interview with this with Dr. with Dr. Oh, in the Huffington so, Post there's going to be a whole Huffington series. In the Huffington Post, Very yeah. Cool. So So if you want more information like that, go on over to limeninjaradio.com and sign up for our email list and we'll send you ninja nuggets and that's one of the nugget nuggets for this week, right? Coming is. up. That's right. So we send you all kinds of cool stuff like that, all kinds, well, five each week. Five. <laughs> yeah. We don't flood your mailbox. <laughs> One email a week right now. Yeah. I think you can handle it. So LimeNinjaRadio.com, and you'll see a pop-up box to sign up for our email list and Ninja Nuggets. Thanks, Aurora, for digging that nugget out of from the interwebs. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know newborn ninjas drive their mothers home from the hospital? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.